0: There's something new on Airs L.A. every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from a Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. March 6, on this date in medical history in the year 1899, Bayer Patents Aspirin. The German company Bayer Patents Aspirin on March 6, 1899 now the most common drug in household medicine cabinets. Acetylsalicylic acid was originally made from a chemical found in the bark of willow trees. In its primitive form, the active ingredient salicin was used for centuries in folk medicine beginning in ancient Greece when Hippocrates used it to relieve pain and fever. Known to doctors since the mid-19th century, It was used sparingly due to its unpleasant taste and tendency to damage the stomach. In 1897, Bayer employee Felix Hoffman found a way to create a stable form of the drug that was easier and more pleasant to take. Some evidence shows that Hoffman's work was really done by a Jewish chemist, Arthur Eichengroen, whose contributions were covered up during the Nazi era. After obtaining the patent rights, Bayer began distributing aspirin in powder form to physicians to give to their patients one gram at a time. The brand name came from A for acetyl, Spur from the Speria plant, a source of salicin, and the suffix in, commonly used for medications. It quickly became the number one drug worldwide. Aspirin was made available in tablet form and without a prescription in 1915. Two years later, when Bayer's patent expired during the First World War, the company lost its trademark rights to aspirin in various countries. After the United States entered the war against Germany in April 1917, the Alien Property Custodian, a government agency that administers foreign property, seized Bayer's U.S. assets. Two years later, the Bayer Company, name and trademarks for the United States and Canada, were auctioned off and purchased by Sterling Products Company, later Sterling Winthrop, for $5.3 million. Bayer became part of IG Farben, the conglomerate of German chemical industries that formed the financial heart of the Nazi regime. After World War II, the Allies split apart IG Farben, and Bayer again emerged as an individual company its purchase of Miles Laboratory in 1978 gave it a product line including Alka-Seltzer and Flintstones and One-A-Day Vitamins. In 1994, Bayer bought Sterling Winthrop's over-the-counter business, gaining back rights to the Bayer name and logo and allowing the company once again to profit from American sales of its most famous product. March 7. On this date in literary history in the year 1923, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, is published. The New Republic publishes Robert Frost's poem, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. The poem, beginning with the famous line, Whose woods these are, I think I know, his house is in the village, though, has introduced millions of American students to poetry. Like most of Frost's poetry, stopping by woods, adopts the tone of a simple New England farmer contemplating an everyday sight. But Robert Frost was very different from the narrators he created. Long associated with New England and farming, Frost was actually born in California in 1874, where he lived until his father, a journalist, died when he was eleven. His mother brought him to Massachusetts where he graduated as co-valedictorian of his high school class. He attended Dartmouth and Harvard, but didn't complete a degree at either school. Three years after high school, he married his fellow high school valedictorian, Eleanor White. Frost tried unsuccessfully to run a New England farm, and the family, which soon included four children, struggled with poverty for two decades. Frost became more and more depressed perhaps even suicidal, and in 1912, he moved his family to England to make a fresh start. There he concentrated on his poetry and published a collection called A Boy's Will in 1913, which won praise from English critics and helped him win a U.S. publishing contract for his second book, North of Boston, in 1914. The American public took a liking to the 40-year-old Frost who returned to the United States when World War I broke out and bought another farm in New Hampshire. He continued to publish books and taught and lectured at Amherst, University of Michigan, Harvard, and Dartmouth, and read his poetry at the inauguration of President Kennedy. He also endured personal tragedy when a son died by suicide and a daughter had a mental breakdown. Although Frost never graduated from a university, he had collected 44 honorary degrees before he died in 1963. March 8. On this date in automotive history in the year 1950, the VW bus, icon of counterculture movement, goes into production. Volkswagen, maker of the Beetle Automobile, expands its product offerings to include a microbus, which goes into production on March 8, 1950. Known officially as the Volkswagen Type 2, the Beetle was the Type 1, or the Transporter, the bus was a favorite mode of transportation for hippies in the U.S. during the 1960s and became an icon of the American counterculture movement. The VW bus was reportedly the brainchild of Dutch businessman Ben Pon, an importer of Beetles to the Netherlands, who saw a market for the small bus and in 1947 sketched out his concept. Volkswagen engineers further developed the idea and in March 1950, the vehicle, with its boxy, utilitarian shape and rear engine, went into production. The bus eventually collected a number of nicknames, including the Combi for Combined Use Vehicle, and the Splitty, for its Split Windshield. In Germany, it was known as the Bully. In the U.S., it was referred to by some as a hippie van or bus because it was used to transport groups of young people and their camping gear and other supplies to concerts and anti-war rallies. Some owners painted colorful murals on their buses and replaced the VW logo on the front with a peace symbol. According to Bug by Phil Patton, when Grateful Dead musician Jerry Garcia died in 1995, Volkswagen ran an ad featuring a drawing of the front of the bus with a tear streaming down it. The bus was only the second product offering for Volkswagen, a company whose history dates back to the 1930s Germany. In 1933, Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany and announced he wanted to build new roads and affordable cars for the German people. At that time, Austrian-born engineer Ferdinand Porsche was already working on creating a small car for the masses. Hitler and Porsche later met and the engineer was charged with designing the inexpensive mass-produced Volkswagen, or people's car. In 1938, work began on the Volkswagen factory located in present-day Wolfsburg, Germany. However, full-scale vehicle production didn't begin until after World War II. In the 1950s, the Volkswagen arrived in the U.S. where the initial reception was tepid, due in part to the car's historic Nazi connection, as well as its small size and unusual rounded shape, which later led to it being dubbed the Beetle. In 1959, the advertising agency Doyle Dane Bernbach launched a groundbreaking campaign that promoted the car's diminutive size as a distinct advantage to consumers. And over the next several years, VW became the top-selling auto import in the United States. In 1972, the VW Beetle passed the iconic Ford Model T as the world's best-selling car, with over 15 million vehicles produced. March 9. On this date in history, in the year 1959, the Barbie doll makes its debut. On March 9, 1959, the first Barbie doll goes on display at the American Toy Fair in New York City. Eleven inches tall, with a waterfall of blonde hair, Barbie was the first mass-produced toy doll in the United States with adult features. The woman behind Barbie was Ruth Handler, who co-founded Mattel, Inc., with her husband in 1945. After seeing her young daughter ignore her baby dolls to play make-believe with paper dolls of adult women, Handler realized there was an important niche in the market for a toy that allowed little girls to imagine the future. Barbie's appearance was modeled on a doll named Lily, based on a German comic strip character. Originally marketed as a racy gag gift to adult men in tobacco shops, the Lily doll later became extremely popular with children. Mattel bought the rights to Lily and made its own version, which Handler named after her daughter Barbara. With its sponsorship of the Mickey Mouse Club TV program in 1955, Mattel became one of the first toy companies to broadcast commercials to children. They used this medium to promote their new toy, and by 1961, the enormous consumer demand for the doll led Mattel to release a boyfriend for Barbie. Handler named him Ken after her son. Barbie's best friend, Midge, came out in 1963. Her little sister, Skipper, debuted the following year. Over the years, Barbie generated huge sales and a lot of controversy. On the positive side, many women saw Barbie as providing an alternative to traditional 1950s gender roles. She has had a series of different jobs, from airline stewardess, doctor, pilot, and astronaut, to Olympic athlete and even U.S. presidential candidate. Others thought Barbie's never-ending supply of designer outfits, cars, and dream houses encouraged kids to be materialistic It was Barbie's appearance that caused the most controversy, however. Her tiny waist and enormous breasts, it was estimated that if she were a real woman, her measurements would be 36, 18, 38, led many to claim that Barbie provided little girls with an unrealistic and harmful example and fostered negative body image. Despite the criticism, sales of Barbie-related merchandise continued to soar, Topping one billion dollars annually by 1993, since 1959, over one billion dolls in the Barbie family have been sold around the world, and Barbie is now a bona fide global icon. March 10. On this date in literary history, in the year 1926, the first Book of the Month Club selection is published: Lolly Willows, or the Loving Huntsman. The first Book of the Month Club selection is published by Viking Press. The book was written by English novelist Sylvia Townsend Warner, who had intended to become a musicologist, not a writer. To that end, she edited a ten volume work called Tudor Church Music. Warner claimed she became a poet and fiction writer accidentally when she ran across a piece of paper with a particularly tempting surface. She was intensely interested in established religions and the occult and used her knowledge of witchcraft in Lolly Willows, a story about a widow who scandalizes her relations by moving to a town involved in witchcraft. The Book of the Month Club's 4,000-plus members were not pleased with the novel. However, Warner was used to being controversial. As an openly gay woman in the early 1900s, she was the object of much hostility throughout her life. Warner later published 144 short stories in The New Yorker, as well as more novels, poetry, and translations. She died in 1978 in Dorset, England. March 11. On this date in history in the year 1959, A Raisin in the Sun debuts on Broadway. Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun, the first Broadway play written by a Black woman, opens at the Ethel Barrymore Theater in New York on March 11, 1959. Taking its title from the Langston Hughes poem, Harlem, Hansberry's story follows a working class Black family from the South Side of Chicago hoping to improve their lives. Raised herself on Chicago's South Side, Hansberry's parents were racial justice activists, and A Raisin in the Sun was inspired by her life. It was also the first Broadway show to feature a Black director, Lloyd Richards, and its stars included Sidney Poitier, Ruby Dee, Claudia McNeil, and Louis Gossett. The New York Drama Critics' Circle Award named Raisin the Best American Play in 1959, and it received four Tony Award nominations for Best Play, Best Direction, and Best Performances for Poitiers and McNeil. It ran for 530 performances until it closed in 1960 and was adapted for the big screen in 1961, with Hansberry writing the script. Broadway revivals took place in 2004 and 2014, and the play is credited with bringing Black audiences to the stage. Never before in the entire history of the American theater, Had so much of the truth of black people's lives been seen on the stage, James Baldwin later wrote of the production, black people had ignored the theater because the theater had always ignored them. March 12. On this date in history, in the year 1894, Coca-Cola sold in glass bottles for the first time. Though today there is almost nothing as ubiquitous as the bottle of Coca-Cola, This was not always the case. For the first several years of its existence, Coke was only made available as a fountain drink, and its producers saw no reason for that to change. It was not until March 12, 1894, that Coke was first sold in bottles. Originally developed as a non-addictive substitute for morphine, then marketed as a non-alcoholic temperance drink, Coca-Cola was invented by John Pemberton, a druggist in Columbus, Georgia, in 1886. It was soon popular throughout the region, and the rights to the brand passed to Asa Griggs Candler. Candler's nephew had advised him that selling the drink in bottles would greatly increase sales, but Griggs apparently wasn't interested. The first person to bottle Coke was Joseph A. Bidenharn, owner of a candy store in Vicksburg, Mississippi. Correctly determining that bottles could boost sales, Biedenharn put the drink into Hutchinson Bottles, a common and reusable glass bottle that bore no resemblance to the modern Coke bottle. He sent Candler a case, but Candler continued to stick with fountain sales. Five years later, Candler finally sold the national bottling rights to Coke, excluding the right to bottle it in Vicksburg to two brothers from Chattanooga. Still convinced that bottling would not be a major source of revenue, Candler sold the bottling rights for a dollar and reportedly never collected even that. The contract stipulated that a bottle of Coke would cost five cents and had no end date, a legal oversight that resulted in the price remaining the same until 1959. In 1915, the bottlers put out a call for a new design, one so distinctive that one could recognize it if it were in pieces on the ground or by feeling it in the dark. The winning design, produced by the Root Glass Company of Terre Haute, Indiana, gave the world the iconic contoured bottle we know today. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for March sixth through March twelfth. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.